0: Good morning, Anthem, and uh, happy five-year anniversary. Uh, It's exciting. Uh, uh, I'm excited that you will be able to dunk me, apparently, in water uh, as a way of expressing your delight in Anthem. So I look forward to celebrating with you later. And uh, one of the things that, uh, as I've been preparing this week uh, on this text, is just how much, uh, how thankful I am for the, I guess you could say, the loving spirit uh, that Anthem has. Uh, we as a church, I, I feel like this is a family and just the way that's blessed my family since we've moved here about a little bit over a year and a half ago. Uh, this is a church where God has just been gracious to give us this loving spirit with one another where it feels like family and one of the things that Peter's going to be unpacking today is how what is the source of that loving spirit, of that reality in a church. Uh, because one of the things is not only do we want to celebrate today how God has brought us here in five years, but also we want to look to how does God continue to do that work for the next five years, the next 50 years. And so today we're going to be looking at, Peter says, that there is something that God has done so that you might have a source of a sincere love, a sincere love. Now that idea of love, as I start talking about love, it just hits me how much I think we live in a day where love is just kind of this sentimental idea. It's kind of this wishy-washy thing. Like, what really is love? Is it just kind of, you know, endorphins firing in our bodies? What, what is this thing we call love? And it reminds me of, uh, <laughs> I was in, uh, I think, I was here third or fourth grade. And they had, the school had this, uh, this guest speaker come in. Okay, it was this public school and they had this guest speaker come in and he was going to give us like this kind of pep talk. And we didn't really know what it was. So we all go to the gym and we're listening to this guy. And He's talking about like, trying to give us a pep talk about like, you're special, you're special. And then he's, he goes, and if you ever wonder if you're really special, this is what I want you to do. And of course, at this point, we're all leaning in like, here's the secret of life. Like, this guy's finally going to give it to us. This is why we paid good tax dollars for this, right? And he leans and he goes, follow me, follow me. kids. I want you to hold your hand up like this to yourself. Everyone do this. Do it with me right now. So you just feel it. He's like, I want you to hold your hand up to yourself, and if you're ever wondering if you're, you're special, I want you to say to yourself, look at that and say, I'm, I'm somebody special. <laughs> this really happened. And we're sitting there, and it's like, you know, you're waiting for it, and you're like, okay, here we go. I'm somebody special? What, (laughs) where did this guy get this? And he 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 makes us say it to ourselves. He's like, say it five times to yourself. So we go, I'm somebody special. I'm somebody special. And we just keep saying, and you're wondering, like, is something gonna become special here? Like, is something gonna manifest like a Harry Potter novel in front of me here when I keep saying this incantation? And eventually he just goes, now, don't you feel better about yourself? And I was like, if I'm honest, no, I feel worse about myself now (laughs) after saying this to myself five times. You can even tell, like, the teachers are even sitting there. It's like a bunch of third and fourth grade and the teachers are sitting there like, yeah, this is not going to work, right? <laughs> and, and so in that moment, when I re- it's one of those times in life where we just, it's like, what do we do? Do we just like tell ourselves these things? Like, do we just make these things up? Are these just sentiments, things that we just kind of grab out of thin air and make up these abstract realities, and we just kind of take hold of them, and we just, if we tell ourselves these things enough, then they'll become true. And I think in many ways, love and how we think about love is, is used in a sentimental way like that. It's kind of this hallmark idea of love where it's just kind of this, this idea that's out there. And here's the thing, we as human beings deeply desire love. No one in here, when I talk about love, is like, oh, boo, I don't like love, right? No one wants to talk about love. No one wants love. Everyone, every one of us, one of our most primal, basic needs is love. And so where does love, what is love? Where does love come from? How can we know that love and experiencing love and, and hearing that we are love is not just some kind of like mind trip, just some kind of repeating some mantra to ourselves. But there's actually something there. See so what Peter's going to talk about in today's passage is he's going to talk about the fact that there is something real. Your heart desires, your soul desires love because love is something real. In fact, he says love is someone, not just not just some idea. And so what Peter's gonna get to today is he's gonna say, I'm gonna introduce you. I I want you to know the real, true source of love. And from that real, true source of love, if, if you have it, it will overflow in your life and you will love others out of that place, out of that love that you have. And so what I'm going to do today is, in honor of our five-year anniversary, I thought I should make this, like, focus, kind of dovetail with that. We're going to be looking at how can we be a church that loves one another sincerely? How can we be a church that loves one another sincerely? And, and again, because God has been gracious to give us a, a loving spirit, I believe, as a church for these first five years. How do we see that continue for the next five years? Peter's going to give us a road forward. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord... We thank you, Lord. That first we know you—you you are love. First John says, "God is love." Lord, we know you are love. That from you, you are Father, Son, Holy Spirit. From eternity past, you've been expressing love, delighting in yourself. That you are a community of love, and out of that love, you created the world that you placed us into. And so, Lord, help us to see this morning. We return to lesser loves. We we'll return to things to fill that desire for love, so we might find it in you. And so, Lord, would you guide our minds and help us to grasp your words, and to see the profound truths that are packed into this short text. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I'm going to do first, I didn't give you kind of the outline, I'd like to tell you kind of where we're going here. First, the source of unfailing love, the source of unfailing love, then second, failing love. How do we, how do we attach on to failing loves that, that, can't. That fail us. And then third, how to be a church that loves sincerely. So first, the source of unfailing love. Peter says in verse 22, he says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, stop there. When, when you read that, I, I as, a, as kind of a uh, an American Christian, I read that, and the first thing that I read is, okay, Peter's talking here about our duty to love, right? Like, you're a Christian, you should love people. And you're like, well, yes, Christianity 101, right? I'm supposed to love people. And we just kind of move on as if that's what Peter's saying. If you're a Christian, then you need to love people. You have a duty to love others. But here's the thing, catch it. Peter doesn't just give us a duty. He says that, in fact, there's, there's a source, there's a reality that's happened in you. And when that, you have that reality, it changes you. Read it again, the first part, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, from a pure heart. And so Peter says, now notice what Peter does here, I just, almost logically the flow here, and this, this text is so, I was telling our, in our community group, we were talking last week and we were looking ahead a little bit to this passage and I was just like, I am blown away the more that I get into Peter, how much just every single word, every single phrase, how it's just packed with this biblical meaning because there's so much he imports from the Old Testament that's just packed into this. But so follow the the logic of what Peter's saying here. He says, first, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. We're going to come back to that because he's saying, this is how you get that pure heart. And then he says, for a sincere, for sincere brotherly love. So here's something that is sourced in you that happens, and then the outcome is going to be that you're going to have a sincere love for others, for brothers. And then he says, look where it comes from. So kind of like the middle of that formula, so you have something, and it produces something, and what is the thing in the middle that produces it? He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So what Peter's saying here is there's something that happens that then affects your heart, and out of your heart then come actions in your life, and exactly what's in your heart will overflow in your life towards others. Get that? So that's what Peter's saying. So how do we get that pure heart? What's he talking through? So let's walk through it slowly. Again, 22a. So put away all malice and all deceit. Or sorry, I skipped down. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So first, what, what does he mean by truth? Right? If you were just pick this passage up and read this out of kind of context and just read it on its own, it says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, what, what's, what's truth here? What, what, which truth, right? Of all the truths, Peter, what, what truths? Are you talking about all the truths in the world? How do I purify my heart with all the truths that are, are possible? No, he's talking about a very specific truth, and that truth is in the context of what we looked at last week. See, Peter had just talked about this this truth, this reality, which is that there is a holy God of the universe. And, and our, the reality is we as human beings can't escape him and who he is And that reality. It's, it's hardwired into our conscience because we live in his world. And what happens is we live lives where if we want to know him and our heart is drawn to knowing God, at the same time as we come near him, we come face to face with this issue, which is he is holy, but we are not, which produces guilt. And because of that guilt that we sense when we encounter a holy God, we have two choices. We can either run from our guilt or we can run towards God and take hold of his grace. And what Peter's saying here is having purified your souls by that truth, by that truth that you are saved by grace alone through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, he says that is the truth that you are to purify yourselves of. He's referring back to what he's just talked about. And so this is why he says you can purify your soul. Because what he's saying there, this is Old Testament. This is throughout the New Testament. I think this, the Greek word here is used, I think seven times, five times. It's referring to when they go to the temple and they cleanse themselves for the temple. He's saying, purify, cleanse yourself with these truths. And what does he just talk about in the previous passage? We cleanse ourselves by faith. How do we get the grace of God? Through the blood of Christ. In the same way that they used to enter into God's presence, by, by, by sacrificing bulls and goats, now we have a finished sacrifice in the blood of Jesus Christ. And his blood cleanses us forever. It is unfailing. It will never fail us. And so Peter is saying, cleanse, uh, purify your soul by again and again and again coming back to this rowdy. Every time, every moment of your day when you're going before the presence of God, remind yourself of the truth that he is a glorious, holy, amazing, loving God. And yet in my sin, I've fallen short of him, but yet he gives me grace in his son. And through that grace, I can purify my soul and I can come into his presence. And Peter says specifically, he uses the word soul. you gonna see soul in the New Testament means your whole self your body and your spirit. And he says it purifies all of you, that when you have that reality, it changes all of who you are, the whole ground of your being, the whole ground of your existence, the thing that drives your life, that reality that wakes you up in the middle of the night, the thing that you, you put your peace down on and build that peace on, he says, is that you can have that love, that grace, that reality that just permeates your entire soul, your entire self. And out of it, Peter then says, If it's in your soul, then it will flow into your heart. And it will flow spiritually, your heart, it will flow then into your actions, and it will overflow with love to others. Did you catch that? There's so much more we could say, but so packed and so much in there. But Peter's saying, do you know that you have this grace that you can take hold of by faith? And if you have that, then it will change who you are. And you won't, and we'll come back to this, you won't just be these people who love in a failing way, a love in a way, see, the, the word love here is constantly, sincerely, constantly, again and again, always. It won't be a cheap love, a sentimental love. It would be rooted in a reality. Now, Peter has said here that you have this reality and now of grace and and this truth that you've become obedient to and you're continuing to build your life onto it. And then what flows out of it, he says then, is love towards others. Now, let's pause for a moment. If, just to think about this, why is it that it would be that if we have grace and we have this truth, that love would flow out of us? Think about that. Peter connects, he he doesn't have anything about, if you have love here, and then love equals, then love comes out, because what he's saying is, notice, you gotta keep reading here, what Peter says is that there is someone who loves you. That is why you have grace. And his love is rooted in truth. Keep reading. Peter goes on, he says, since you have been born again, so he says, because of these things, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. And so Peter says here, he says, listen, this love that is yours, here's where it comes from. And since this is true, because this is true, you can purify your souls and you can love others and overflow with that love. And it's so easy to read this and go, okay, since you've been born again, not a perishable seed, like perishable through living and abiding word of God. Okay, so I just take hold of truth in the Bible. And if I just take hold of that, then just then love will come out. Now it's not less than that, but he's saying a little bit more than that. What is Peter saying? Peter's actually, what he's doing here is in a way, he's taking, you know like zip files? Are those still a thing, right? Somebody emailed, like they emailed me a bunch of graphics the other day, and it was like, you know, the thing with the zipper on it, and you're like, is this, <laughs> is this a virus, right? But I, well it's from Nick, he's on staff, must be okay. And so I click it, and then like, boom, all this, all this stuff comes out, right? But you like condense it and it fits in the email, but then you open it up and it's blah, 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 blah. Like, whoa, you sent me all this stuff, right? Well, this is almost as if Peter's making a zip file of the Old Testament. And, and he's taking in these, in these phrases this reality that has been promised all throughout the Old Testament, and he's putting it in a zip file in this line. He's saying, this is a zip file that captures how God is able to love his people in the way that he's always promised. What he says is you're going to be born again. And this, this new birth, this new life is going to be a reality that comes out of something imperishable. Not just anything imperishable, it's an imperishable seed. Now why does he use that language seed? Is it just a like seed of truth? What, what is he referring to? He's referring back to, we actually, in the liturgy earlier, We read it during the time of confession. When we went back to John 8, I love that. that we went back and Peter, or Jesus says, I am a son of Abraham. In fact, in the Old Testament, that term that was used there is the seed of Abraham. And, And all throughout the Old Testament, there's this theme of the seed that keeps coming up where they're saying, who is going to be this one who's the descendant who fulfills all the promises that God has made to his people, that he will make a home with them, that his presence will be with them, and that they'll know him. And as we'll see later in Jeremiah 8, as in the Old Testament, again and again and again, it talks about God's love for his people. His love would be in their midst with his people. They would be a family, that they would be his beloved. And what Peter is doing here is he's saying, love is not just some kind of fact, it's not just some kind of sentiment, but in fact, love is a person. Love is Jesus Christ, God's very heart, His very, from his pure heart came his son into the world in order to lay down his life to love you. In other words, just if nothing else, get this clear. There's, it's, this text is so dense. I'm trying to lay it out clearly. What the Bible teaches is God is love. First John. And from before time began, God was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in this perfect loving community, and out of the overflow delight, and he created a world that's a, just a theater of his glory and his love, and he gave us a unique capacity, made in his image, to be in the middle of that creation and know that love and walk in that love and live in that love in God's presence. And then take everything that's glorious in creation, the raw materials, and develop it into worshipful praise of God's love. But we fell from that. We turned to other loves. And in turning to other loves, what God then had a choice to do was God could immediately then slam the door on us. Or he could say, I love you, I'm coming for you. And see, whatever God does flows out of who he is. And so what happens is we see on display in redemption, we see God's very heart on display that God is not a God who is just, who's just wrath. God is a God who loves and out of that love flows from his pure heart, from his perfect heart, flows his son coming to redeem us in the history And so in other words, love, what we are made for is a reality because we are made from a God who is love. It's hardwired in our souls to desire it. It's a reality that's out there. It's defined by who he is. And now his son has come. And so if you turn to Christ by grace through faith, then you can know an actual love. You're not just standing around telling yourself, I'm somebody special, but instead you know love because it looks like this, I love you. My hands are upon a cross. I've paid the true sacrifice, the true payment for your sin. And truth and grace come together on that cross. And what Peter is saying is truth and grace comes together and the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Love is not merely a sentiment, love is a savior. And so I love in this hymn, here is love. It says, on the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide, through the floodgates of God's mercy, flowed a vast and gracious tide grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love our definition of love shouldn't come from hallmark cards shouldn't come from Country music songs shouldn't just come from whatever our feelings or just whatever we wake up in the morning and however that donut feels by 10 a.m. in your belly. Like, love, it shouldn't be defined by that. Love is defined by the cross. We're truth of a holy God, truth of this glory we are made for. And the truth of the fact that we fell short of that and the truth of a God who is love, who came into the world by grace and he brings that grace together and paying for those sins so that we might know him and have life with him. This is love. Not, Not sentimental, but gritty and true and real so that we're not playing games. It's a real person who brings real love and you can build your life on that reality. Let me ask you, do you know that unfailing love? Have you ever heard that that, that is the crutch of Christianity, that God has invited you in to know Him? Not, not just pray a prayer and then move on in life, but, but to be immersed, to have a, a life where God in His love has made a way for you to know Him so that you might live a life immersed in His love. Because what happens is when that gets a hold of your soul, that just overflows Your life, you're not sitting around like, you know, well, I should love somebody. You're not walking around. It's not like the Bible picture isn't like everyone's walking around going, well, I should love. All right, love, love, you know, trying to like force out love out of your body. It's like an awkward image. But the Bible, what it says is that when God gets a hold of your heart, what happens is it just flows out of you. Where you love as you first been loved. So it looks sacrificial because Christ's love is sacrificial, it looks gracious. It looks sincere. It looks constant. We'll come back to how to cultivate it, but first I want to look at how do we cultivate, that's unfailing love, how do we cultivate failing love? Failing love. Love that, that fails up. love. Love that doesn't last. Love, love that isn't constant. Love that isn't sincere. Peter says, watch that you don't cultivate these kinds of loves. Verse going on, for all flesh, in verse 24, is like grass in all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, Peter is quoting here from Isaiah 40. Now, why does he quote from Isaiah 40? Because he grounds, okay, so when they say for, because, so let me tell you why this is true. is because of of this thing here. And he goes into Isaiah 4, and here's the reason why. He says because he's offering a warning. He's telling us there's a timeless problem. There, you can either have this kind of seed to, to fruit of love in your life, the seed of Christ into your, changes your heart and that comes full flower into, into love of others, or you can have this seed in your life that will fail you and it will actually sprout for a little bit, and, but the glory of it will fade. See, what he says is that we will seek our glory. Another way, though, of putting that is the way that we find glory is what makes us lovable. What we, another way for saying glory is what makes us lovable? What, what gives us a sense that we are something, that we are, that we are worth it, that, we, that everyone around us should be in awe of us, that there's something that goes, see, glory is just holiness gone public. And what happens is we want to have something that's so innate in us, so lovable in us, that when it goes public, everyone turns and goes, wow, you belong. You are worthy. You are enough. I want to be close to you. And, and there's something in our hearts as human beings that we, we want that so badly. And what drives our lives, Peter says, is often what was captured back in Isaiah 40, which is that we, we try to find it in fleeting things. We try to find it in things like our careers, success, money, attractiveness, uh, who we know, what we've done, our, our intelligence, and everyone just bowing before us and being amazed by us that there's something about us that makes us stand apart. And all of us are, and what Peter says is you will try to justify your existence and get that, that hole that's in your heart, that desires to experience love. You'll try to fill it by doing things, having a glory that's fleeting so that everyone around you goes, wow. This really hit me. Uh, we were watching uh, M, M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, Old, right? Um, so we're like, pastor, watch that movie. Um, and so we, we watched this movie the other night. And uh, I was like, "Ah, okay, let's see how it is. And so we, we watch it, which, by the way, it's not very good. Uh, sorry. I just, I'm just going to say, you're going to watch it, and be like, man, he has bad taste in movies. It's like SNL skit bad. Uh, my wife and I at times are like, is this supposed to be, like, suspenseful or, like, a Saturday Night Live, you know, skit? Uh, anyways, but uh, that aside, there's this, this... So the whole premise of the movie is they, they end up... Uh, spoiler alert, sorry. They end up on this island, and, uh, and what happens is they're, like, within 24 hours, they age, like, 80 years. So what happens is they end up like, and I won't tell you why or how, you know, you won't spoil it completely. Um, You can go see the horrible movie. But when, for yourself, but when uh, they're aging, and so what happens at the beginning of the movie is there's this, they follow these different characters. And each of these characters essentially uh, encapsulates a different kind of personality or different person and how they live their life. One of them is this young woman who's essentially, she's like a supermodel, right? And, And so you follow her at the beginning and she's sitting, everything about her says, look at me. Look at me. She's sitting at, that we're introduced to her, sitting at a table where she's taking an order. And as she's taking the order, she's trying, like, leaning, hoping that she can catch the waiter looking at her, looking at her body. Being, being enraptured with her at some point and going, wow. And her body language is saying, look at me. And then they end up at the, the beach where this whole thing, thing goes down and and they're and they're there and when they first get there everyone's kind of setting up tents and everything and she's standing there kind of you know and like her right, just taking the picture like the selfie for Instagram right like and everything in it is saying look at me look at me because what is she doing there she fi- finds that sense of i'm lovable if everyone wants to look at me i'm lovable if i'm attractive I'm lovable if I'm somebody worth putting into a picture. I'm lovable if I'm somebody worth catching eyes. If I have that, then I am lovable. That is her glory. Well, what happens then is when she suddenly ages, within a matter of hours, and now all of a sudden she's like in an 80-year-old's body and, and she, she's hiding. What happens if they can't find her? And she's hiding in a cave. And when they finally find her, she comes out and she's screaming, don't look at me, don't look at me. And she's crying into the corner and covering her face and screaming at them, don't look at me, don't look at me. Why? Because her glory has faded. It's failed her. And now that thing that made her lovable, that thing that made her lovable is gone. And as quickly as it has failed and it has faded, just as quickly, all the sense of herself, all the security, all the affirmation that comes with that, that grounding of who she is, it's gone just as quickly. And in our lives, what Peter is saying is we are so tempted to build our lives on things that ultimately will fade nothing wrong with being beautiful. There's nothing wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with being intelligent. There's nothing wrong with these things. But if we tap our sense of self, that deep sense of it's what makes me lovable versus just I am lovable and out of it I, I have these graces, these realities in my life. But whether or not I have them, they can come and go. I still am loved deep down. Peter says if you don't have that deep thing, it will fail you. And when it fails you, You'll feel like life is something that's a failing venture. One of the ways I've heard this put is, what's the thing that, if you didn't have it, or you knew you never would have it or achieve it, would make life unbearable? Almost not worth living. I think so much today of the rise in depression and whatnot in our culture is because we are trying to tap ourselves into all these different ways of finding, making ourselves lovable. But they fail. Turning here from our hearts to then where this goes public and how this works out in our lives one another, thinking about how we as a church become a church who are loving and, and, and reinforce. because here's the thing, we can reinforce, because we can kind of, you know, mock and kind of sneer at stories like that and individuals. And we know the individuals, you know, they, they get the sports car, and all the things. They're saying, look at me, essentially. But we have to look in the mirror. And I think something that's helpful to do as a church is consider ways that we actually reinforce failing forms of love. Because the way that sometimes we do community with one another, fellowship, relationships, can actually reinforce these forms of failing love. Because ultimately what we're saying is this is what makes you lovable, this is what makes you belong. And so I'm not going to unpack these a ton. Actually, I sent a whole bunch over for our community groups. If you're in a community group this week, you guys can be discussing these and processing them. But this is going to be a two by two because all of God's glorious truths come in two by twos. I love two by twos. Uh, And so I'm just going to lay this out. First one, different kinds of fellowship that offer failing love. And this is on the axis of grace and truth. We've been talking about grace and truth. We need both in our fellowship with one another. And low truth, low grace leads to a click. Right, you know, you know the clique, right? It's the, it's the lunchroom, right, in high school, right? You get the band table and the nerd table and the cheerleading table and the preps and the jocks and whatever other tables. I was at my own table, all right? <laughs> I was just over there like, this is Matt's table. Uh, but when we have <laughs> my own clique. Uh, but a clique is just essentially, there's no real sense of truth there that's outside of ourselves. It's just whatever we say matters. It could be political affiliation, temperament, fashion, attractiveness, just kind of like our economic, socioeconomic status, whatever it is, we have all these different kinds of cliques that we can create. And what we say is if you have this, you meet this standard, then you belong. And and so what we do is we form cliques where we say the standard of belonging here, the standard of what makes you lovable is that you meet some kind of arbitrary standard of truth, my standard of truth, what I've agreed to, that makes us lovable. But at the same time, there's no grace that's really needed because one, on one hand, There's no real truth that's there. So you don't need grace. And also, if you ever fail to be a part of that, you're no longer attractive, you're no longer on the cheerleading squad, you know, metaphorically. You're no longer a lawyer who's a partner in that business. You're out. Because you become a threat to the standard of the group. See, what happens is when we form cliques in Christian culture, we actually reinforce failing kinds of love. We say, what really matters isn't Jesus Christ and your identity in him and the love that he's poured out in Christ, but what matters is actually X, Y, and Z. The next one, cathartic forms, produces a sentimental love. These are forms where we get into community and we say, oh, okay, it's all of grace. There's no real truth here, but it's all of grace. This is the group that just says, if you make me feel good about myself, if you just tell me what I want to hear, if you just repeat the things after me, if you just say, you do you, if you never bring in truth here, then... You'll be lovable and I'll be lovable. See, what happens is in these communities, there's no real sense of truth. There's no real sense of what what is weighty and what really brings us together and what is life really all about, but instead, it's just a matter of you do you and as long as you make me feel good and you just leave me alone, then you can belong here. And so it actually becomes this very shallow form of love that we reinforce our identity in. We can do that in the church very easily. Next is a contractual form of fellowship which creates a transactional love. Contractual forms are, it says essentially, if you do this, then you can be a part of this group. Now, in some way, all these are contractual forms of fellowship that if you fulfill the contract you're in, if you don't, you're out. But this tends to be really, really high expectation groups. It could be if you have your life all together and you talk this way and you perform this way as a Christian and you do exactly as I do, then you belong. And so what makes us lovable is essentially fake it till you make it and have it all together. And there's very, very little place for grace. A lot of times these fellowships are someplace where it's very, very cold because there's actually very, very little true depth. Because we know that if we honest, are honest with where we are and we, we, we attempt to grow, then we'll be cast out. We'll come back to it. You're all waiting now. Like, well, what's the other one? We'll come back to it. So for a moment, let's just consider are there ways in which we reinforce a failing kind of love? Are there ways in the fellowship with one another, in the ways that we do our relationships with one another? Are there things that we hold out? What makes us turn our back on somebody? What makes us say, no, this person can't be a part of this? What are the things that arise in your soul when you enter into a new friendship or group that you just, you're afraid of if they know this thing? we can reinforce failing kinds of love. And they end up preaching a different gospel. So let's look at how do we cultivate, how do we a church that loves sincerely? Peter, overall, in this passage, just capturing what Jesus said, which is that the world will know you by your love. Peter's just capturing that reality and a kind of love not known in this world because it's not, it's not sourced in a world of this, or a love of this world. God's love is completely different than our usual ideas of love. All, many of the different ways, just the assumptions that we bring to the table about what God's love is, God's love is completely different than any of those. And it takes a lifetime of learning that reality. It's not transactional. God's love isn't about proving ourselves lovable to him. He loves because he is love. Um, uh, so I mentioned earlier, I think I mentioned the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. <clears throat> There's kind of this key passage, or there is this key passage. Deuteronomy actually just means the second giving of the law, by the way. Duro namas. And, and so it's actually, it's when Moses gives the law for a second time. So you would expect that because it's just about the law and it's just about the commandments of God and whatnot, and how the people of God are to be, you would think that it'd be devoid of any kind of love. But here's the shocking reality. It's about the law of God, and it is the book of the Bible that has the word love in it the most. God brings truth and grace together. And where does he bring them together? In himself. Read this. For you, God speaking to the people, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. See, catch that. God says what makes you lovable, why I love you, it's not because you're more numerous, because you're more talented, because you're more wealthy, because you have it more together, because you're just naturally more spirit, your temperament is more spiritual, your sensibilities. There's nothing in us, it's not your intelligence, it's nothing in us that makes you lovable. He says what makes you lovable, he says all of those things, all of those things would just be a return to Egypt to slavery. If we lived for those things, we constantly were trying to prove ourselves with those things. But God says, I came to set you free. And why did I set my love upon you? I did it, he says, because the Lord loves you. Why does God love us? He says, because I love you. That's the reason that's given, because he is love. There's no arbitrary, if God chose something outside himself, well, I love you because you're really tall. I love you because, you know, you're, I don't know, I ran out of things, right? I love you because of this thing. That standard would be something that would become God because God would have to submit to that standard. Instead, God loves. He does. And he's loved us. God's love is different because it's a promise, reality that flows from him. It's unfailing because He is unfailing. His love is unfailing. See, God doesn't hold to a contractual love. Contractual love puts our desires above the relationship, right? So, if you've ever been in a contractual relationship, if you fail at, if you make a contract, you fail at these agreed things, then the relationship fails. I want this. We agreed to it, and so if you don't get there, I'm gone. Right? So you, you all have known a marriage that ended up working this way. That it's, if, you, if I don't get this or that or dinner or make m- this much money a year or whatever it is, then I'm out of here. And if you live a life in a contractual relationship, a transactional kind of love, what will happen is you will become enslaved to someone, be able to be controlled by someone. You will become someone who is just constantly malleable, trying to prove yourself, just always just living in fear that you will fail at the transaction but God's love is not contractual. God's love is covenantal. He points here to a promise that he made. He said, I have entered into a covenant just like a wedding covenant or a marriage covenant. And he said, I have put the relationship above individual wants and desires. And so what happens when you fail me, when your love fails me, when you run from me, when you turn to other loves, This is why the Bible in the Old Old Testament uses the, the image of us being like those who are like a wife who's unfaithful to her husband or a husband who's unfaithful to his wife. We're just leaving God and being unfaithful all the time and yet God says, even in the midst of that, my love will not fail when you fail me. And this is why at the core of the cross is Christ leveraging all of his rights and his privileges and his authority and his power and all of his glory so that, as Philippians 2 says, so that we might be saved. God's love is poured out. God put himself to great pain in order to redeem our relationship. And not just to redeem that relationship legally, but to redeem that relationship so we know his love. We are not loved because we are lovable. We are lovable because we are loved. And when you have that kind of love, you don't need to constantly live with trying to make yourself lovable because you already are. And that fundamentally changes how we do life with one another and how we do the next five years, the next 50 years. Imagine if this was at the core of it, that each and every one of us was so saturated with the love that has been poured out in Christ, and not just some sentimental idea, but just knowing from God's word and knowing the truth that this is who Jesus is, that in the face of where I've, I've been in a front and I've rebelled and I've, I've vandalized God's glory and his, his shalom, his peace in the world, but yet at the same time, God has a son who came deeper than my sin and the corruption of it in order to save me, and this is love, why God has done it because of his love, and now he calls us his children, his beloved children. Imagine if that then overflowed into how we did relationships with one another. And that brings up the last in the four by four. Covenantal. Covenantal fellowship. A sincere love. A sincere love that says, yes, I can see. I can see your flaws. I can see the reality. I can see that none of us who's in relationships in the church now is Jesus. Here's the thing. You want a perfect church? You want perfect fellowship? Then good luck. Because when you move and you find it, then you're going to mess it up because you showed up. Okay? Okay? Sin follows you, none of us are perfect. And when we come into a fellowship where we say, this is true, it's not because of anything, but what, who you are and who I am in Christ, and we meet there and we celebrate the reality of who Christ is and the redemption that we have in him. And so we pursue a holy and glorious and loving God that we might know him, and we pursue truth in that way. And we don't run from guilt in the midst of that, but instead we open our arms to one another with grace. And you say, come with me to the cross, come with me to Christ. We have the freedom to do that, because the standard of what makes us lovable is not anything but Christ. And so what I want this week, community groups. I, I encourage you, and you can do this even if you're not in the community group. We can get you the questions. I put these little kind of some blocks in there that I unpack these a little bit more. You can read them, and then process through like, how have I, do, what do I default to? Why, why do I default to that kind of community? What Why is that? And what are the, how could we as a group, how could we move towards that covenantal love? And so to get practical and work this out in your specific relationships, I encourage you to do that this week. But Anthem, this, this, what Peter is saying is how we remain a loving, sincerely loving, Christ cross gospel saturated church for the next five years, the next 50 years, we celebrate today because we have something that has not failed us and we have something that will never fail us because it's in Christ. And say, stay close to Him. Don't settle for sentimental, I'm somebody, special kinds of love, right? But take hold of that love that is true, that is rooted in a historical, actual reality that the Son of God. His beloved came from His pure heart into a world so that we might know His pure, sincere, unfailing, never-ending love and that it might then take root in our lives and overflow into the world around us. That, as Peter says at the end, that word is the good news that was preached to you, a love that will never fail you no matter how you may fail Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these truths. Lord, that we don't have to just make up a sentimental forms of love. We don't just have to wishful thinking. We don't just, we know it's rooted in reality. And also, Lord, in times when we we don't feel your love, we wonder if it's there. Lord, I pray right now for those in this room who are struggling and going, Lord, I, I haven't sensed your love in so long. Lord, help them to grasp that even in the midst of not, Feeling it right now, Lord, if they grab hold of Christ, that it's a, a true love that goes nowhere, that our subjective feelings don't change the objective reality we have in Christ. So sort of help them to take hold of Christ until the moment when, by your Spirit, you fill them with that sense of your love. Give them, teach them perseverance in the midst of it, to see that even in the midst of their weakness, the inability to sense your love, Lord, in the midst of it, your love is still great and strong, and would it deepen their trust in your love and your glory? And so, Lord, would you deepen all of us our sense of the reality of how you love us, of being your beloved children. Would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen.